0: You're listening to a podcast from 7 2 The Literature Corner. And one of the nicest things about my next guest that I have is that um, I can afford to have a senior moment here. I'm busy reading a book that I've just got that a publisher has sent me. I'm not even looking at the clock. And the reason is that she is a broadcaster herself and uh, an arts journalist, a book journalist. So I know that um I can shut up. She can speak for 30 minutes and the ratings will go up. I do have to pay her though. She does absolutely amazing work when it comes to books in particular. And of course, I'm talking about Andrea von Weeg. Andrea, good morning. It's wonderful seeing you. Thanks so much for coming in.
1: Oh, it's always good to see you, CBS.
0: Now, you and I were talking briefly on WhatsApp last week about what we might do because you do the most stunning reviews. But I also thought maybe we should start thinking more proactively and we can do this in future about other ways of using this space to try and just spread the magic around when it comes to books and reading, kind of debates about reviewers for that matter, all sorts of other things we can yet do. And you stumbled upon one way to kill two birds with one stone. There's some books we're going to look at, but we can also talk explicitly about an interesting genre.
1: Absolutely. So um, I'm quite passionate about fiction, as you know, especially local fiction. So I thought it might be interesting to look at this proliferation or um, what looks like a proliferation of South African authors writing sci-fi, but particularly a branch of sci-fi called dystopian fiction, uh, uh, which overlaps sort of with an apocalypse narrative.
0: Mm. Now, that to me is absolutely, absolutely fascinating because we often go to what people in the academy and you've recently, with distinction, got your degree around literature, would refer to as realism or social realism Mm. to try and understand what is going on uh, in society right now. And when we normally think about, for example other kinds of writing, including science fiction, or we just think about whatever it might be that isn't that isn't quite realist, that that is your escapism from reality. And I know that we're going to talk about Lauren Bukas in a second as one such example, that actually there are many instances of sci-fi writers or fantasy writers who often are able to capture, like the blues artists I just spoke about with Percy Mabandu, the proverbial human condition even more fully than someone who deliberately sets out to write social realism.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, we've had critics say that science fiction is the only branch of literature that deals um, with our fears of the future. And that is what sci-fi is all about. And it's not always just spaceships and aliens uh, being blasted out out there in the expanse um, or in other worlds dystopian fiction and post-apocalyptic fiction very much takes place in our world. It just takes place sometimes just in the distant future, just a few years in the future. Um, and it just imagines what if. It's a what-if scenario, and these what-ifs are very much accessible. They, they're very possible. It's not just um, thinking about zombies, which is a horror genre. It's thinking about, okay, uh, let's say climate change. What happens when things go wrong? What will we do? How will we deal with this?
0: I absolutely love that. So what it also does is it gives, appropriately so, the creative – do that speculative writing should be given. Because the word speculation or speculative in the English language, when we say, are you just speculating, Andrea, we normally mean that as a diss. Mm. But actually, both in political science, but also in literature, there is bad speculation and there is speculation... That is very, very good, including in the social realism genre. I mean, if we talk, we could have had an entire discussion about Elders Huxley. We could talk about um, other books like 1984 mm. and Animal Farm, for example. So the device of speculation or the idiom of speculation should be taken seriously, shouldn't it?
1: Absolutely. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned speculation because another uh, way to describe dystopian fiction is speculative fiction. Yes. So um, it's it's... So, I mean, what what happens here is that it taps into the the zeitgeist Mm. of our current fears about the future, Mm. um, and they are prolific. Mm. Um,
0: So, why don't we proceed by way of example?
1: So, I try to go in sort of chronological order just to show that that it's expanding mm. and I think that more writers are realizing that this is a great way to write and it's a great subgenre genre to, to write in, that it can be so-called literary fiction if we want to call it that. So I started with Lauren Bierkus's first book, Moxieland, which was published in 2008. Sorry to
0: interrupt you, can we settle this once and for all, by the way, because I feel very pretentious, especially on the English station. Is it Bierkus or is it Bucus? I say Beekers. What does but- she say? Lauren, what do you say? Please tell us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I say beakers, Maybe I'm wrong.
0: I always just say it very quickly. Oh,
1: just in beakers, case.
0: <laughs> just in case. Okay, Lauren, Beekers. Henry and I will, honor Afrikaans, we'll say Beekers. Lauren can set us straight. No, yes. Yeah. If she's listening. Maybe when she goes to the States, it's Beekers. Maybe. <laughs> okay, Moxiland.
1: So it takes place in a futuristic Cape Town. It follows the lives of four young people. In this world, it's just also a new future. Uh, people are divided into groups based on their class, their health, their race, and very importantly, whether they own a cell phone and a SIM card <laughs> because this SIM card contains everything, all your personal information, your bank accounts, uh, whether you are healthy, all of that sort of stuff. If you don't have this, you are cut off from food, water, shelter, any form of communication or transportation, you become persona non grata. Um, and this is the way that the government controls people. And this is an interesting thing about dystopian yeah. fiction. It is very often about a powerful body, often a government, controlling people in a society that is supposed to be good for these people. That's what they're espousing. They're saying, yes, this is, this is the best way, uh, to look after you. So you should be grateful. Um, but yeah, it's it's all about control.
0: I I mean, I hope as you are listening to to Andrea giving us a synopsis of Moxiland. And if you haven't read it, please go and buy a copy. Lauren is one of our best writers, not just locally, but one of our best exports internationally. Stunning and well deserved success and I can't even count the number of awards that she has richly uh been deservedly given. Uh but it's so interesting to me those of us who are hard news and political animals to draw the obvious dots between this futuristic novel and all sorts of debates. And Mm. I can, without even thinking, I can think of examples. I mean, one that comes to mind is during the the Sasa debacle, one of the big fears with uh, CPS, the company that had all the data of the poor, is what you can do. He who controls the data is, is able to leech off human beings because of what he is able to access about your life sell you all sorts of products, all sorts of things, you know what I mean? So quite apart from the big brother theme that comes out of this, there's also the very real year and now that comes with innovation, firstly, in technology, that means that our lives become easier, but more and more data of Andrea of Eusebius can be in the hands of all sorts of people, not just the state, but also non-state actors, and even before we talk about all the innovations that Aki tells about, tells us about every Monday, even in terms of old technology like SIM cards, there's data there that you can potentially leverage. So it's really interesting what one can do with this kind of novel. You can either just teach it in English literature or you could walk over to sociology department or you could walk over to philosophy or to political science and it travels between departments.
1: Absolutely. And that's what makes... It's interdisciplinary, if I can put it that way, if you want to look at it in an academic way. But that is something that makes... This sub-genre so fantastic is that is that it's so broad actually. Hmm. Um, so people w- might think, oh it's so narrow um, it's not that interesting but it's very philosophical very much so. It really challenges us mainly to think about what would we do in certain situations. So I mean uh, for example if we look at some of the things that are happening as you for example mentioned, everybody is so intimately connected to technology um, in this book they feel fear being cut off more like more than death mm. it is like a death mm. um, and that's so reminiscent of what's happening with many people today many people can't live without being plugged in
0: absolutely and then dion mayer another south african success story
1: yeah, so the reason why I picked this book—it's very interesting. It's from twenty seventeen, Fever. It's because he broke away from the crime fiction genre to write something very, very different. So he's taking a big chance here, and it did do well. Um, it got very, very positive reviews both here and internationally. Mm. Um, so it's this is quite a, a post-apocalypse type setting. Um, it's set in a South Africa where a virus has ravaged society, um, and then a father and a son who survived travel. Across the country In search of a place Where they can establish A new society to survive And one of the interesting Things about this Is that um, It's set mostly In the village of Van der In the Northern Cape Next to A man-made lake Of the same name Um, And this place Actually exists In real life Hmm. So what Dion has done Is His setting Actually exists It's not like a fantasy world where that world doesn't exist and it's not a possible world. Mm. Um, this makes it very, very uh, that real. That is really interesting. Yes, the setting is very recognizable. Um, and that's what makes this so unsettling, uh, unsettling because you can recognize it. You can think, oh, this is possible. I mean, if you just look, for example, at the virus, maybe some people think, oh, no, this can't happen. But we know, we know that actually we've got... Um, resistant bacteria or bacteria resistant to antibiotics we know that some scientists are very concerned that as ice caps melt diseases that have been gone for thousands of years will suddenly wake up these are very real threats um and that's what makes this like i said so unsettling so uncanny so eerie and so very very real is the good read absolutely this this is probably, as far as I'm concerned, Dion Mayer's best work. Oh, wow. Yes. Mm. Um, it's quite reminiscent of The Road, um, by Cormac McCarthy, also a father and son setting out in a post-apocalyptic world. But I'm sorry to say to Cormac McCarthy, I think Dion May's work is better. <laughs> no, and I, I'm, it's not just because he's a South African. I think <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful.
0: That is absolutely stunning. You've also picked a, a title. I think it's the next one that, Takes place in different parts of the historical continuum. Mm. One of the challenge for, challenges for some newcomers to Lawrence's work is often uh, the way in which they are time set. For example, so what goes on in a season of glass? I I, I haven't read it, but it's what past, present, and futures.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's Rala Zanopolis's book. Um, it was published last year. Um, it's about a woman who is able to carry all the stories ever told within her body, and she and her twin uh, try to save the world at various points in history and including the future. So in this future, people have a co- have caused the apocalypse, which is basically what we're doing right now. Yes. Um, humanity is dying out and there is a kind of super internet that controls everything from your thoughts to your memory. So very reminiscent of 1984. Um, so the season of glass refers to a song by yoko ono which is of the same name now if you think of glass it's something that's fragile Mm. shatters easily sometimes it's transparent and it allows you to see things clearly and sometimes it's opaque nothing is simple so life is like glass it's brittle it's delicate Um, at times we feel our path is clear and at others we just don't know how to make headway Mm. Um, and that's very much what this is about so in dystopian fiction we often see technology being demonized it's a means of control which is what happens in this book um, I mean for example right now in South Africa we're discussing how the fourth industrial revolution and the technological revolution will impact jobs it could lead to mass job losses we're talking about climate change how we're destroying the planet which could very much lead to this very kind of apocalypse that we see in this novel.
0: Mm. It's 19 minutes after 11 o'clock. I can listen to Andrew the whole day. And as I often say when I have her on the show, what I love about having her on is that we have different reading interests. And so we expand what it is that we tell you is worth taking a chance on. We've spoken about Moxilan, Bukas' novel, or Bukas, uh, Maya's Fever, and Xenopolis' A Season of Glass. What have you read now that you can put a name to it? And maybe you don't care about the name, In terms of the genre, Uh, you just read for enjoyment, which is perfectly cool. But now that you know, there's a thing called, say, speculative fiction or dystopian fiction, which is the opposite of a utopian world. Do you have any recommendations? And I'll be very curious to know whether you've come across South African writers that write about speculative fiction and you've just thoroughly enjoyed it. Could be a very particular novel. It could be a series of works by a particular author. And let's make the circle bigger for other people who constantly want recommendations. O 883 is the Literature Corner. Literature Corner. 22 minutes after 11 o'clock it is, the Literature Corner. Give us a call. Have you got recommendations of speculative fiction you've enjoyed um, by any author for that matter? But uh, we are showing some love in particular to South African authors. Uh, you know, it could be dystopian works or it could be works that are just speculative uh, in their nature. O118830702. 118830702 We're hanging out with book journalist and uh, one of the best in the industry, uh, Andrea von Weyk, who's also a broadcaster as well as an arts journalist also. Now, this next author is doing some amazing things. I haven't yet got into this book. I don't know if it was with you or with uh, another friend that I said that I, I struggled with his first book. I know that it's been critically acclaimed. I told you, right? You
1: did. And now
0: I keep reading this amazing stuff. And then I came across an interview. I can't remember where. Maybe it was the Johannesburg book review. I'm not sure where, where he reflects on the technique in the book you're about to talk about and his reflections, which are quite academic, I must say, but stunningly deep and intellectual made me think, yes, like you really got to try and get into this guy because maybe you need to champion his, his work because sometimes… You know, writers can be very, very shy. We take whatever sales and readership we can get. But someone else needs to come along and say, South Africa, wake up. This man shouldn't be selling 3,000 copies. He should be selling 10,000 copies. Mm-hmm. But I struggled with the first one. Tell the listeners who I'm talking about and then describe the second book.
1: So, Masande Nshanga, he's a very young author. So, I think he's still got great things in him. He decided to move away from the realist uh, world of his first book, The Reactive, and he wrote this one now, Triangulum. It's just come out. It's brand, brand new. Um And what's interesting is... That very often dystopian and post apocalyptic fiction is very political. And that's exactly what he does in this book. So um part of it takes place at, it takes place at various times. So let's say part of it takes place in the present, in the former Sky homeland. A young girl starts seeing this machine, it just hovers above her. She's like this maths genius And it's almost like a UFO But she doesn't get contacted By aliens or anything like that It's just this thing That hovers above her um, And she thinks That it's about to communicate With her About the disappearance Of her mom Her mom just one day Disappeared They have no no idea What happened to her um, And so what's interesting Is that he Frames uh, the politics of the homeland system mm. with this this prism of dystopian fiction mm. um, and very much one of the things that you'll find in a lot of dystopian fiction is post-colonialism where you've got governments and technology and that sort of thing actually colonizing people Um and it's, it's very interesting because you mentioned CPS and the SASA scandal. So in 2025, this woman who we never find out her name, she's a data scientist. She helps the state. Mine information from mostly Poor people in order to target them With advertising and products So what you said earlier Very much tapped into in this book Um, But then she's approached By an underground movement to help Monitor what's happening and possibly to stop it And one of the other things that you'll often find In dystopian fiction is this underground Movement, the resistance as such Um, So the world In this, uh, this novel Has now been divided into zones And they're owned by corporations So here we got corporations colonizing people which is something that we see today it happens it's already happening Mm. it's just in this world it's it's now 100 percent. it's happened everywhere completely um so um people are selling themselves to corporations controlling social media for example what we see today so that's the framework or the prism through which you can look mm. at things that are happening now.
0: Tell me, Andrea, so just in terms of how he describes the cityscape or the landscape, the former homeland area, the Cisco, if you compare this with Dion Mayer, you were saying what's interesting about Mayer's book, Fever, is that um, the landscape is real, even if it's a speculation about what can play out in this particular space, as opposed to inventing an entirely different universe, does um, Masande do 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 the same in this work? Is this the actual Siski, the actual Eastern Cape landscape and geography that we're talking about?
1: Absolutely, um, which is again what makes it so realistic, and that's what that's the unsettling thing about this kind of um, about this kind of fiction, as I've said before, um, because it's a. The future is an imagined future, mm. um, a speculative future, but the present is very much um, set in reality.
0: The interview that I that I read of his, I liked it analytically, conceptually, intellectually, but it was the first time in a long time that I'd read an interview with an author, and I, and I wish I can recall where it was, but but that's not the salient point, where he was that incredibly granular in articulating in a really impressive way technically the difference between this work the previous work and what he was trying to achieve and he drew me in at that level but I, I did have a a, a wonder as, as someone who also enjoys in the first instance reading for pleasure whether it's a pleasurable read not just a clever read
1: for me, it was very pleasurable. Um, I mean, obviously, I like this genre, but I definitely found it pre- pleasurable. Um, it's not, I think, a very hard read. It, it is mentally challenging, but, um, I really enjoyed it. I read it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I really enjoyed his previous book, but, I did feel like it was a much harder read, a much more challenging read. Um, it was a much shorter book, but it took me longer to read okay. that book.
0: But worthy investment. Absolutely. Iran Guvaria, one of our most prolific writers.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, A Spy in Time, also from this year, but earlier this year. Also takes place, this one takes place quite far into the future. Johannesburg is the only city to have survived a supernova that hit the earth. And the reason we survived was because we managed to go into the mining tunnels um, underneath the city and around the city. (laughs) Um, And then a group called the Agency, they're kind of like the FBI and they're the controlling force uh, in this world. They've created a machine that allows agents to jump backward in time to try and figure out how to stop an attack on the agency. That's going to happen in the future And now this question comes into play About if you change something in the past How is it going to affect the future You know that whole thing about If you go if you go back and murder your father Are you going to exist in the future That sort of thing <laughs> um, it's, it's very interesting because um, It also Talks to That controlling force um, the, the dystopia Of people trusting In a particular force Um, a force that isn't necessarily good for us. Mm.
0: So these five, just the last question, we're going to run out of time here. I'm very interested. I deliberately didn't ask it about each novel in turn. Does dystopian literature, by definition, have dystopian morals and endings?
1: Um, I think a lot of the time it does. Um, I think it's it's it is trying to teach us something um, we I mean even just the way that it's written or the choice of genre teaches us something because we've been so behind as readers in South Africa in welcoming this kind of fiction so people scoff at sci-fi um, but you've got great literature here that explores these themes very deftly um, very cleverly and written in stunning language
0: Um so, And I suppose whether the dystopia come true or not depends on what we do now. The whole point of rolling forward the picture from the year now is precisely as a warning signal, but not as a fate accompli.
1: Absolutely. You've you've hit the nail on the head.
0: Thank you, Andrea. Love your work. Thank you for coming in.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me again.
0: That was Andrea van Veek, who, of course, is an arts and book journalist and a broadcaster.